Well, welcome back to another episode of Spam 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 Humbug. This is episode 35, and we're actually going to be talking about Shroud of the Avatar. Um, you know, as part of our ongoing series, um, reviewing the news related to um, well, Ultima and Ultima Fan Project, and some projects at any rate that have been inspired directly or indirectly by Ultima, uh, looking at, you know, the progress made on these throughout the year that we all just left about a month ago. But, before we start, um, actually I actually have a few, got a whole bunch of neat stuff happening actually. So, uh, first up, here's a somewhat belated note of thanks to Eric Gronk Range, who, uh, he actually recently backed the Ultima Codex on Patreon, so thank you for that, Eric. Um, and also, you know, my apologies, normally Patreon sends out a notification when there's a new backer, but for whatever reason, in this case, it didn't. So, oops, but... Glad to have you on board, and uh, thank you again. I'd also actually like to, uh, new thing that I'm doing, um, sort of added a new reward tier on Patreon, so by all means check that out, um, but I'd like to offer a hearty thank you to people who, you know, really just based on the level that they're contributing at, uh, I kind of do regard as co-producers on the podcast, and this would be uh, the likes of Adam and Violation, Seth, Neil, Chris, Pascal, Cody, Thorwin, Dominic, Chris H, Eric, and uh, and Johnny. Thank you all. That's uh, I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> and a shout out. Have a shout out today to Mike, who's actually a former coworker of mine, um, another recent subscriber to the podcast. So that's cool. We have a few new followers on Podbean. We have Simply Now, Becca Pritchard, and Blue Knack. Uh, there's also a few new Ultima Dragons on the Facebook group. So we welcome Sean, Greg, William, Song Kim, and Grant. And there's a new dragon registered on UDSC.org. So welcome and splut to Amaruk Dragon. For those of you who don't know what the heck I just said, splut, it's the traditional greeting of the Ultima Dragons. It's the sound of a pie hitting you in the face. So... Welcome back to another year of Spam, 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 Humbug. This year to ring in 2016, um, episodes for the month of January, and at least the first episode in February, will be focused on recapping the news pertaining to, like I just said, Ultima, uh, which includes Ultima Online, various Ultima fan projects, which we've covered already, uh, and also different games that have been inspired by Ultima, uh, which includes Shroud of the Avatar and Underworld Ascendant. Underworld Ascendant was, of course, last week's episode, um, and Ultima Online will be the episode after this one. Which means that this week, we will be looking at what has transpired with Shroud of the Avatar over the course of 2015. And before we get to that, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Richard Garriott and Star Long. Um, I actually invited them to take some time to talk about Shroud of the Avatar, especially in light of the recent news that has broken concerning the game. You recently crossed the $8 million mark in the ongoing crowdfunding campaign, so congratulations for that. That's a real milestone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there was an article that came out uh, earlier this year. I uh, can't remember which publication that ran it. I want to say Games Industry, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but uh, it was on Shroud of the Avatar and the many ways it conserves cash. Um, so it was basically, you know, a look at how frugal Portalarium tries to be as development on Shroud continues. Um, I'm assuming that much of that remains true, 
you know, in terms of just how um, efficient you try to be with cost. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah, in fact, if I can, if I can comment on that, um, you know, it, it is interesting that psychologically uh, there's a huge difference, you, you know, between, you know, if, if you are spending either money out of your own pocket or money that, a, that an accredited investor has provided you through investing in a company, um, you know, there is a certain way you feel about spending that money. I mean, you, you make, it's, those are business decisions. And, and you, 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 you spend them in a way that is clearly responsible as a business, but you also, uh, uh, you, 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 know, you, you know that everyone involved is well aware of the risks and, uh, and everyone on that journey ex doesn't expect you to necessarily suffer yourself or cause your employees to suffer along that journey of, of trying to do something, something great together. Right. When you take money directly from the consumers, uh, there is a huge, there's a very different kind of psychological burden that in an unwritten way, we believe kind of comes along with it. I mean, we, we feel like, you know, we feel a, a, a deep responsibility to make sure that we deliver what, you know, first of all, a product. Secondly, the product they believed they were the, you know that they that they that we told them we were going to deliver and that they've expressed that they want and so when when we when we started down this path we took that very very seriously and you know it, it's interesting that you know in, in years past whether it was origin or with NCSoft you know and others um, you know there used to always be debates about you know what is the right amount of perks to have around the office you know how much you know should we have a private should people get private offices you know should we provide coca-cola should we provide you know, meals periodically. You know, how many right. how many trade shows do we send people to for their personal growth or for corporate business? You know, those are just the normal kinds of discussions that come up in the normal operating of a business. In our case, because we already knew that our budget was going to be tight, it was going into this. We knew this was going to be. You know, where it's not like we have we don't have a big deep pocketed company sitting beside us to 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 cover for us if we run over budget or late. And so, to us, we were going like. The worst thing we could imagine is accepting millions of dollars of the player's money, you know, making it, you know, not being able to complete the project, and then have anybody go back and say, well, yeah, you know, if you guys just weren't flying yourselves to E3s and game developers conference all the time, you could have done this for us. And for us, that would just be heartbreakingly crushing. To have anybody have any doubt that we have not done the been the most responsible we can possibly be with their money to provide them, you know, what we want to provide them, and so that kind of that's what sort of that was the foundational premise, and we've tried to live by that. And I think I think, and by the way, this is just me or Star. Every person on this team believes it. You know, when when we're you know working hard toward the end of a, a release like we are right now. You know, the reason why Star's at the office right now is not because he came to this office to have this, you know, midnight meeting. It's because <laughs> he and most everybody else is still at the office. And it's not because Star has mandated and told everybody, hey, we're in crunch time, everybody's working 12 to 16 hours a day. We don't do that. We don't do the 12 to 16 hour a day things. Everybody knows w what we're up against. Everybody knows what they need to get done. Everybody knows we're going to release on the third Thursday of every month, at, you know, uh, at, at the same time every month. And everybody goes like everybody just feels that sense of responsibility, and so 
everybody just does what they need to do and works really hard and works really clean and really focused. I mean, it's it's actually it's it's actually a joy to see happening from the inside. Uh, but it comes along with this really interesting passion and commitment that at least I've not felt or seen in a development team previously. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, to, to, to echo that, you know, uh, our, our fundamental plan is that every dollar that the backers give us is spent on development of the product and nothing else. And uh, not on marketing, not on PR, uh, not on, you know, anything, nothing that we don't need. Trade so, shows, we've never bought a trade know, show booth, even though we've been in booths. We get them yeah, you've partnered with yeah. uh, different companies. Yeah, exactly. So anytime we've ever been at a trade show, it's been free because someone else has sponsored us, like Microsoft or Plantronics or Razor uh, or the hosts of the show themselves. Like, you know, we have a great relationship with the Rooster Teeth guys, so, you know, we'll often get a space at RTX just because of that relationship. Um, but we don't buy, we don't buy food space. Uh, we don't we don't buy ads. You know we don't we don't do marketing campaigns. You know we and and sometimes probably maybe to our detriment, but it all comes down to the idea that you know the most important thing is to spend dollars on product. And the fun you know the funny anecdotes are things like you know we one of our telethons you know sort of all day video hangouts we. Uh, part of it, we did a tour around the office, and I showed people like our nasty old coffee machine and our micro, our dirty old microwave. And they like we had followed us from like five offices, and we're like ten years old each. And the like two days later, some of our backers had sent us a new microwave and a new coffee machine. You know, <laughs> and, nice. and but we didn't we didn't buy it like because like I I refused. I was like we're not buying a new coffee machine. The coffee machine works. It's dirty and nasty, but it works. You know, same with the same with the microwave. It's like, oh yeah, it's old and gross, and sometimes it kind of flakes out, but it works most ninety-nine percent of the time. No reason to buy buy a new one. Uh, and, I mean, uh, and I should show the camera around uh, our 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 meeting room because uh, you'll none of the chairs match in our meeting room because they're you know the meeting room is where all the sort of like, the all sort of hand-me-down one-off chairs go to die. Oh, uh, in fact. Uh, this chair right here today, today in fact, this chair right here uh, was our lead artist uh, Michael Hutchinson's chair, and it, uh, it the little connector of the back to the seat broke. Oh. And so we had one of these chairs in the office, and he came and swapped it out. So now this chair is a trap for anyone <laughs> who comes and sits in it here in the meeting room. But you know, and. and I mean, kind of. Some of it's a little silly, but some of it's. It all comes from a very serious place of like we feel very, very responsible for how every dollar spent. You know, and and it even makes. Uh, you know, we uh, as a team, we all pull in together. Even little things like uh, uh, bringing in some breakfast treats or something. You know, we never do anything that charges the company. Each of us, you know, a lot of us, especially the senior team members or managers. You know, we just go like, look, you know, everybody's working hard. Let's let's go buy something and treat. You know. You know, I'll bring in a basket of tacos, or somebody else will bring in a thing of don't tray of donuts, or whatever it might be. You know, we we just we do we we try to we do all these kind of team building, morale building things that either the community provides for us directly. They come in and decorate our offices for Halloween or or, or Christmas, and 
we do them for each other all the time, and we welcome the community in. It's really this incredibly bonded community to team and back. We're all in this together mentality. That's awesome. Um, yeah, because it's... <laughs> It it it, uh, it almost seems to like further blur the line between you know like where does the the game end and not the game begin right because you're still everyone's just contributing and interacting yeah. and that community that exists within the game spills over and has real world effects. I mean I know, you know like some of the guilds and packs and things like that have uh, like they contributed materially to Portalarium. Uh, to your recent move, there were a lot of people that showed up for that to help for that, um, and it almost became like you know an extension of what these groups and communities in the game were doing. So yeah, I mean, I, absolutely, it, it, it is a very blurry line, and you know, I uh, we haven't quite settled on, on what to call it. Uh, the thing I've been using in the talks I've been giving, giving recently is co-development, where it's this really blurry line of like, yes, technic technically we're the developers of the product, but really the community is, you know, obviously they're contributing monetarily. I mean, you know, they're funding the project, right. but they're also contributing through feedback and, and again, like you mentioned, real material helpful things like new microwave and a new coffee machine, but also like, you know, uh, helping us move. Uh, another example where like we weren't, we refused to pay uh, a, a moving service to move us. We're like, well, we don't need that. Like we, we are all perfectly capable of putting things in boxes and, un, you know, unplugging computers. Um, and, uh, but the community was like, well, no, we'll come help you. And, and so it, it, it is a very blurry, you know, code, you know, line between us and, you know, this co-development thing is a completely new way to do business and a new way to develop. And, and I think if there's one thing I could say that's hard, that one of the hardest things about this project is because the way we're doing it and the product itself are very new, you know, the idea that, like, we're all developing at this together and, you know, we're iterating and doing, giving feedback and we're in this sort of constant state of development, you know, even though technically we're not launched, I mean, we've been live 24-7 for over a year now. So by some definitions, we are live, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so the idea that, the, like, these definitions, these traditional sort of development definitions of alpha and beta and, 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 and release and all those things are, are I'm not sure they apply. And then the kind of product we're making is difficult to describe. You know, it, it, it is a single player experience, but it's also, you know, a multiplayer experience and a shared experience and a sandbox and a role play experience. And a, I mean, it, it's all of those things. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just one of them. And, and I think one of our big challenges is, is how do we properly communicate that and how do we set expectations properly? Because I mean, I think we have some people who very much are looking to play the game that is, you know, like the linear single-player Ultimas, and then there's the group that are looking to play Ultima online, and there's some overlap there, uh, but sometimes not. And and getting people to understand that, well, it, it's going to be like Ultima online. 
Online was, and it's going to be like Ultima 7 was, but it's at the same time going to be completely unlike either of them. Um, and, and so I think that's that, that, that that's kind of the, the biggest challenge we have. Yeah. One important milestone that uh, you reached and actually exceeded uh, in 2015 was, of course, release 24. Uh, and I mean, you've both mentioned um, like different timelines. Star, you referred to, you know, more than a year of continuous operation because, of course, the first few releases were, you know, they were live for um, a weekend or a week or so. Um, and then, of course, at some point, um, the servers were just on all the time. Um, but release 24, of course, marks, you know, two years now of consistent monthly releases of well, new game content, um, systems, overhauls, things like that. It's an impressive trend, you know, it's a point you've both made a few times. Um, and it really is like just the, the, the pace and the consistency, especially, um, have been truly impressive. Well, thank you. It, 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 I, I am, it is probably the single most thing I'm, I'm pr most proud of on the project is, the, that the process uh -oh. and iterating on it with the feedback from the players, uh, which takes a little longer. Uh, yep. But that, you know, my, our passion and our belief, our passionate belief is that that timeliness and that predictability is the most important thing. Knowing that that last Thursday of the month, give or take, whether it's it's always on a Thursday. It's always 10.30 a.m. Depending on the holidays and things like that, it might be the third Thursday or fourth Thursday. But it's, when we say it's going to be, it's going to be that. That is more important than anything. That's more important than what the actual content is in that release. That's more important than uh, anything. And so uh, the, the, my, this team's ability to execute that, I, I'm like so proud of them. And... And I'm proud of the community embracing it. And I think that, again, going back to that sort of communication challenge, that's how we want to do the project forever. Like, that, our current plan is that this is, this is how it's going to be. It's never going to stop being this way. And, again, it goes back to, well, if that's the case, then using traditional sort of definitions of alpha and beta and launch and all those things while I understand their importance and they do have significance, uh, they don't necessarily fit exactly in a traditional sense what we're doing. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the monthly releases are important, and I think that uh, I think it's a really, really great way uh, to make progress. I'm actually going to... oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'm actually going to jump ahead then because. Um while it's kind of fresh in the discussion, um, you know, and you've uh, mentioned this a couple of times, of course, that, yeah, like terms like alpha and beta don't really apply. Um, and of course, by the time this episode goes live, you'll have actually made clear that it's your intent to avoid the use of those terms in the future, describing the development state of the game. Instead, you'll be adopting the steam terminology of, you know, like early access, um, and the question I was going to ask was, you know, well, okay, given that, like, you know, when do you envision moving Shroud out of early access and into mainline release? 
And what I was going to follow that question up with was, you know, whether it's too early to start talking about episode two and what that'll entail and how that'll be funded. Um, but given everything you've just said, I almost want to like merge those two ideas and, sure. and wonder that, you know, going forward, you know, um, if there's a point at which, you know, we can say, well, this is like Shroud of the Avatar, like this is the V1.0, okay? So like from here, we say that we have kind of hit um, a point in which there's, uh, you know, we've ticked off all of those goals that we wanted to deliver on. Um, but going forward past that point, you know, do you see that this monthly iterative development is just going to become the model as you proceed towards, you know, um, episode two, Forever. if that, um, if that term, if, if, you know, an episodic release, um, model is even still accurate. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a debate that we have amongst ourselves and we have among, between us and the players, uh, fairly often. Uh, and like you said, we, you know, we're, we're setting a goal to make the game stay persistent in July. And uh, at that point, you know, we will have uh, all three storylines in the game and playable. Uh, one of the three will be, high, you know, what we consider to a po completely polished state, uh, what, you would, what you would equate to a commercial launch quality level. Uh, and the... Uh, and the core systems for the world, the sandbox, will also be polished to that state. Um, and from there, we're going to keep doing monthly developments. And what we will consider episode one launch is when we have, you know, gone through the list of things that we said we were going to do at the Kickstarter. Um, and that's when we would consider it, quote, unquote, a what episode one you know, like you said, B 1.0. Um, and at that point, like we still plan to do monthly releases. And so while the idea of, F we definitely are going to have an episode two from a story standpoint, like episode two will be another narrative structure and it will be another expansion to the world. There'll be another landmass to explore. And so, uh, there definitely will be an episode two, but it's interesting. It's an interesting idea to consider whether episode two will go through any kind of early development stages, or versus will it just be a continuous expansion of integration in, to episode one? Like, will that content just go straight to live as we develop it? Uh, and at which point, if it does, then well, yeah. Let me let me jump in here and mention that too. Which is, uh, and again, we're by the way, you're now talking right into the heart of debates we have at the office all the time. You know, even issues of what do we call this event in July versus the later in the year full, you know, story release. What what do we call those terms? We argue about that, you know, daily almost at the office. Uh, and when you start now talking about episode two. We're now sort of brainstorming live with you, you know, we even here with our, <laughs> with our banter, like we do at the at the office. 
And but an, but an interesting way that I think Star is sort of uh, describing it as that that uh, that I want to elaborate on is, you know, if you think about gameplay features, like if we decide to make uh, or when we manage to get around to rideable mounts or you know sail around in your airship or uh, you know uh, a new a form of uh, NPC or pets, uh, you know, or that we went, that we might be able to put in. Those things will all come online if and when we manage to get to them. You know, it doesn't really matter to us whether it's in episode two or three or five or in the middle between episodes or not. We're just going to keep working on the technology and features of the game. The foundational functionality of the game will just constantly get better and better forevermore. The things that will be episodic, the things that will be that will likely fall into something called an episode, are what Star was just mentioning of is how do we open a landmass and a new story arc to people. And the uh, and and we, we actually might change our mind on that, but he was sort of feeling into the trade-offs. The the you know we in theory could embargo people from going to the new landmass until episode two storyline that is on that new landmass is completed. However, we need beta testers in there anyway, and so you know we we already have people in early access that are you know or it'll be now normal access that'll be in the main continent. So we'll either have to put artificial mechanisms to block you. You know, the, the ship that would take you onto the new landmass will have to either say, it's not ready and you're not allowed to go, or it will say, by the way, this is a ship to take you over to the lands of episode two. Fair warning, this is, the, you know, in progress, and so it's early access. If you go across this boat bridge, you know, you're going into early access zones, you know, be aware of the fact that it'll be buggy and incomplete. And so, but it really is, but think of the episodes as content. The features will just continue to evolve. Yeah, and, and as far as like timelines, you know, so July is when we're, we're going to go persistent. Uh, we'll have lot selection, and then you know, and and what's significant about this announcement is, up until now, we have only provided quarterly updates, like three month look forwards of like what the next three releases are. We've never yeah. actually given a projection beyond three months before. So this is the first time we're projecting, and this time it's set, you know, it's six months out. So we doubled the duration. And, <laughs> and for me, that's because we finally reached a point, literally with this release, with release 26, the one that's going live tomorrow, and it will be live by the time this goes live. Um, where we've reached a critical mass of game systems and gameplay and even story where we can comfortably say with confidence for the first time that, that we believe very strongly that the game will be in a highly playable and polished state, not necessarily with all of the content or all of the features, uh, but we know what we can do within six months. You know, that's how far we are now with the project and how predictable we think we are. And when people look at the, the, the sheer mass of content that's going in this particular release, release 26, versus any others, I mean, this is literally our biggest release we've ever done. Um, just if you look at the, uh, just the page count, you know, normally my release instructions are about 9 to 11 pages, and this one is like uh, 17, I believe. Cool. So, so it, it's a very, very large release. It should have this momentum stage where we're, we can make these kinds of predictions. Now, with that said, I don't necessarily want to go beyond that six months and say, well, when is episode one going to be done? But, you know, uh, ballpark, because we're going to get asked this question by our players too, you know, uh, we, we think, you know, the end of the year is not unreasonable. However, 
I'm not going to commit to that in any kind of official way. I'm not going to write down, you know, I'm not going to make an official announcement about that. But, you know, in general, the end of the year. But the real answer is, you know, when we think it's ready. You know, we feel highly confident that it's going to be good enough for persistence in July. And we, and we feel very confident that the story will be playable, minus the finale. We're holding that one back a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but minus the, minus the culmination. Uh, in fact, it's worth pointing out the fact that we're purposely holding that one out because that way we actually want to make sure the beta testers can't finish. We actually want to reserve the finale till basically when the, everything else is well tested and ready, so that so that those people who are waiting to play the story don't have that don't have all of that spoiled for them six months prior to the end. That's fair. And so even though the finale section is the shortest of the pieces of the story uh, segment that part we're going to embargo the longest uh, yeah. just to, you know, for, for the pleasure of people, you know, enjoying it simultaneously. And, and what's important to note in all of this is, you know, until such time that we complete episode one, that we get all the features that we promised during Kickstarter and all of the story in the game and playable and polished, uh, we won't start anything related to episode two until all of those are I guess we'll know when we've hit that point when, you know, you're no longer listed on a Steam early access page, you're just on Steam. <laughs> Correct. And that, and that's, and, and, and the only, you know, we, we, we've made this announcement first in Dev Plus. Tomorrow it'll go live to all of our players about persistence and the lot selection. Um, and that is really the only difference between what we've done to date until, until now is the idea that we won't be wiping that everything will everything you do will persist going forward. Other than that, everything we're doing is exactly what we've been doing the entire time. And I, so that that's that's just the and I think that again we're doing things very differently. And that's and that's you know that's yeah no. But I think it's the I think I, we feel like it's the right thing for the product. It seems to be working fantastically. Um, just discussing then the news that, you know, um, basically attended release 26. Um, and, you know, you have mentioned like the final wipe and true persistence, of course, um, lot selection. The lot selection is fairly straightforward. I mean, I'm sure some people can probably contrive questions about, well, when exactly will I get my lot and will I be stuck in a player owned town or will I get a location in like, a not player town, but it, that one, I read the document, it's laid out very, or pretty clearly enough, I think. But I did have some questions about sure. um, the final wipe and what follows. So, um, one of the things that struck me was the fact that you uh, plan on expiring approximately half of the current available pledge tiers during the uh, what you're calling the spring 2016 expiration event, handily enough, that'll be May 2nd. Um, will this affect a broad strata of pledge tiers? So, you know, some low level, medium and high level, or will you say only be like expiring maybe high level tiers or low level tiers? Uh, it's going to be the first. Uh, okay. It's going to be, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a spectrum. Uh, so it'll be a mix of low level and high level tiers. Um, if there's any weighting in that, there might be slightly heavier weighting towards expiring some of the lower level pledges, uh, uh, just because the, the higher ones are the ones that have property associated with them, and that that is pretty important to players. 
Yes. Uh, so those may persist for a little longer, uh, but it's going to be a spread. Okay. Um, and then, of course, I mean, it's only going to be an issue for a few months anyways, because right. the summer 2016 expiration event is coming around the corner after that, August 1st. Um, yeah. And that will mark, if I understand correctly what you've written, um, basically an end to Shroud of the Avatar's crowdfunding efforts, or at least as far as the content that we will still call Episode 1 is concerned. Uh, kind of. Um, what, it, what, it really, what it really means is it, it is an expiration of the current crowdfunding model, um, but and all of the awards associated with it. And so at some point, there was always going to be a point where we said, those of you who back the product before we are complete, what you have bought is exclusive and special to you. And, and it will never be seen again, and it, it is by definition rare. Uh, so that was always going to happen. Uh, and what, so, that, so we're doing that now in association with the persistence because we believe that that's the right time to do it. Um, we still will have things like the add-on store, uh, so people will still be able to purchase items a la carte to add to their experience, uh, and we will have the ability to buy the game itself. So right. what is currently called the Adventurer Pledge, um, that is the game plus some exclusive rewards, that is going away, but for that, it'll be replaced by $45 gets you access to the game. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're going to be then just selling essentially retail copies of the game. So Yeah, well, also, okay. now here's the way to think about it, though, too, is we one of the things, that, one of the reasons we want to stop wiping is because people can't, or there's no point in investing very heavily in your own real estate, right? If you right. whatever you build or achieve is going to go away, and so we want to stop wiping because we think that will let people continue to invest in the economy of the real world, the interaction socially between the role playing, the deeper role playing in the game, will be unlocked to open and, and strengthen. Uh, but that also part of that also means that by by shutting down all the pledges that had lots associated with them, that's also getting rid of the tax free lots that are associated with those pre-last wipe uh, pledges. What that does is that gives now those rare, those now, those lots have real economic value. Right. That brings into existence the true player-to-player -player economy of things that have real economic value to each other. And the, the other lots that we now begin to add on in the add-on store and other you know, ways that people get, in, get, get property is either you know, buying it in the game itself proper or in other ways that will generally be, uh, you know, non-tax-free lots, and so it gives the specialness to the early backers to say, look, I, I really do have something that I came in early, I got something, you know, of true value, and the new players that have, have to, prior to this final wipe weren't with us on this journey don't get that value, and if they want it, they have to buy it from me personally because I get here early, I got it, you want it, you pay me for it, being the player. <laughs> All right then. Um, and I mean, obviously the, uh, the stretch goal store is going away too, actually sooner, February 29th. Um, now none of those, I looked at it today and they were all still pretty far away. Now you've mentioned that, you know, a lot of that stuff, it's kind of, you'll get to it when you get to it. Um, so in a sense, I mean, 
I guess there's not really anything to worry about the fact that, you know, none of those stretch goals is going to get hit necessarily for episode one. Um, but anyways. Well, well, in fact, you said it very explicitly. We're, we're specifically not going to tackle it for episode one because they specifically did not reach the critical mass we needed to make those a priority over the other original features. Right. And so uh, 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 those are all things we want to see in the game. The players want them. We want them. But their time is not now. So they won't. They definitely will not make it in for episode one, but they still are on our long-term goals list. But we haven't even, frankly, we literally have not planned at all for episode two. You know, we occasionally, very flippantly, will pass around, wouldn't, like I've even said today, wouldn't mounts be nice, wouldn't ships be nice, wouldn't, you know, a variety of other things be nice. And we, we agree those things would be nice, and we will um, presumptively start with them as part of the episode two plan, but we have literally not vetted any part of that at all uh, to see, you know, really, you know, what once we get this uh, episode one feature set done, you know, ha- what what amount of staff needs to roll into the live maintenance of the code? What amount of the staff gets to even pr- to even work on any of these new features? So therefore, which ones can we tackle and what orders we tackle them in? Haven't even touched that yet. We'll uh, we'll get to that, you know, by summertime. Right. We're starting to see now um, some implementation of features for the single-player offline mode. That's starting to become um, a thing. It was discussed a while ago um, how, you know, in like the game's online modes, uh, there's not necessarily going to be this truly free-form object interaction model, um, i.e. players just can't move stuff around willy-nilly, that, you know, one uh, often thinks of when one thinks of something like Ultima 7. But has there been any further discussion about um, allowing the truly offline players whose actions by definition won't have an impact that translates into the online area of the game? Um, Has there been any discussion about, you know, affording them a higher degree of freedom in this respect, i.e. making more of just random objects in the world manipulable? Absolutely. And and the the current, and it's even outlined in the the post about the final wipe, while that won't be in in time for that final wipe, uh, the, the, the current plan is still to allow people to put items anywhere in the world, both in online and offline mode. However, it is much more likely to happen for offline mode than <laughs> it is online mode. But it will definitely happen for offline mode. The only question is whether it will also happen in offline mode. And it's also worth pointing out that, uh, you know, one of the big cleanups that's been going in this release exactly, and we'll be rolling into the next couple as well, is the unification of the ideals we put in. You know, these were goalposts from the very beginning. We just got kind of sloppy in the middle time of the rush of getting things in and kind of didn't, we, we had to find the line kind of uh, by trial and error, you know, to where, you know, if there's an apple in a scene, it ought to be picked, you ought to be able to pick it up. You know, you know, and, and and some right now you can't. And so we've kind of gone through and we've tried to parse very carefully and very explicitly which objects, what type, what is the condition, what is the scale and descriptive, interactive description of items that should be apparent to the player, should you know, the player should, should, be, should learn to believe that these should all be grabbable and takeable and movable and stealable and whatever else. And what things that is okay to nail to the floor and let's be consistent with that across the whole world, you know, even a, not just per item, but even the metaphors involved. Like you wouldn't want 
apples to be movable and onions not to be movable because they're basically the same size and shape. Yeah. And so we've we've now been um, unifying that. People going going through every map and all the prefabs that are called to build out all these spaces are being refined so that we clarify that line to uh, player action. Awesome. I'm actually really happy to hear that because that is one thing that I have kind of been missing a little bit um, whenever I have time to log in. Related to that, and also a little bit more generally, um, will there be opportunities for, I put offline players in the question, but I mean, I guess it could apply to the online players too, but for players in general to to break the game as it uh, as it were. One of the hallmarks of the ultimate experience and it really i'm thinking of i don't know if you've ever read doug the eagles anti-walkthroughs of the later games in the ultima series if not i'll have to shoot you the link um but you know he's he's masterful at finding all these different ways to interact with or encounter the world and its contents and sometimes the plot and always in ways that are like wildly unintended and pretty much completely out of order um which in turn, of course, lead to unpredictable outcomes, although not necessarily progression killing. And that's one of the reasons I cite Doug the Eagle specifically, because he tries to like completely um, trip the game up everywhere he can, but still pass it. Um, so... Uh, well, I just Googled it, and so now I've got it up here on my side screen. I'll have to uh, check that out later. That mm -hmm. sounds like great fun. Re re and by the way, there's oh. no way we'll avoid not setting the game up for that. I mean, as much <laughs> as we, we're going to try to make it as bulletproof as possible, but it will be impossible for us to ever get to it. These games are so big and so complex now uh, that we'll be plugging those sorts of holes forever. But the good news is, compared to a solo player Ultima, we can patch it. And so uh, you know, when, when people point out to the fact that they can loop around backwards, some of those will patch and fix if they break if they truly break things. Some of them will will celebrate if they find something really funny or interesting to do. You know, we'll make it even more funny and more interesting to do it. So uh, we'll do a little bit of both. Nice. Um, all right. Coming up on the last two personal question. Any chance that I can get the point and click navigation back on the Overland map? I really like that. I find WASD a little bit cumbersome. <laughs> Star, you want to field that one? Yeah. Uh, you're not. You're, you're not the only person who's requested that. Um, you know, uh, maybe uh, anything is possible. I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things we definitely have on the plate between now and July is some UI polish and overhaul, um, uh, including con different control schemes, different alternate key bindings, things like that. So, uh, I. You know, it's not impossible. Um, uh, probably not by July, but you know, <laughs> at some point, we definitely plan on, you know, expanding uh, the ways you interact with the game from a UI and controller standpoint. So that's certainly possible. All right. It's just a personal thing, like I say. Sure. Um, I keep trying to get it put in the Ultima 9 control mechanism. I, I still know. love Ultima 9 controls better than any of the others, but I can't convince the team to do it. Oh, I wish sadly, they would. Sadly, as much as people might think this is a dictatorship, it's not. Uh, or at least I'm not the dictator. Star. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and so, uh, yeah, a, a lot of even my personal pet things, a lot of them do go in, by the way, but some of them I have a hard time getting through. 
Well, well there's I mean, a poll on the forums where an overwhelming number of players come out and say they would like the Ultimate Nine control scheme. Maybe I'll think about it. Well, it was just so nice because it kept you off the letter keys. You know, yes, when you have typed input, it. it's uh, it, it was it was just it, it was, was unique great. for that, and it worked really well for that. So exactly right. MMOs need to use the Ultimate Nine control scheme. It is the only way not to have your character jumping up and down every time you hit the space bar and accidentally opening and closing windows and spewing shit all over the screen. Ultimate Nine controls are the way we need to go. But I need people to support me on this one. <laughs> well, you got my vote. But all I don't right. work there. <laughs> well, you sort of do. Well, it's a, it's a community. This so is a shared, so this is shared so. development. Yeah. Your vote counts at least as much as mine does. Believe you <laughs> me, every time, for a lot of the time. Well, there's two. Yeah. Uh, um, two versus one right now here in this room. <laughs> All right. Well, I know it's getting late there for you, Richard, and Star, you're an hour ahead of me as well. And my wife is now texting me saying, hey, I want to watch Star Wars because we just discovered Star Wars Rebels and we're really enjoying it. That's um, right. It's, yeah, it's a... Actually, that and the Clone Wars have been like some of the most joy I've had with Star Wars, even counting The Force Awakens. Really like that movie, yeah. but ooh, some of the animated stuff is just excellent. Oh. Um, just wanted to touch then, because uh, I mean, like, you, you release releases, or you've got news releases every week, so there's like fifty odd links here to go through. Um, but couple of things that I really wanted to touch on first this was I think um, a tremendous year for the visual fidelity of Shroud of the Avatar uh, like especially um, when you onboarded Abe and he started making some scenes then of course you've got some other now area designers as well but just the the sheer raw beauty of a lot of the screenshots that started to come out from about, yeah, I think around springtime, uh, especially, was just like uh, so profound. I, I, I have been blown away more times than I can count by just how beautiful the Overland map is and, you know, some of the, some of the uh, just general scenery of the game has, has really become, there's been so much polish. Um, so that was, like I say, that was really awesome to see. Well, thank you. Uh, and, and, yeah, and even, though, even though there wasn't really a question in, in, in there, let me yeah. Let me sorry, I didn't really it, make a question out of that. The, but the what's interesting about that is uh, I, I say thanks too. But what's also interesting is uh, it's always kind of like two steps forward, one step back. Um, and and by the way, I agree with you. We now can we are capable of making screenshots now, which are phenomenal. Uh, and when all the parts and pieces are working together as well as they should, things are now looking well within our target quality level. However, a lot of those improvements we put in, we put in also at the same time like Unity might be changing their engine to change the way a render path line, pathway can work and allows us to do better water or better uh, haze effects or better heat to way shimmers or other things. And when we do that, often a lot of the older art either doesn't translate forward successfully at all or with a fast frame rate, or we just mispredict the new stuff. We make some new cool whiz-bang features, and that suddenly that feature actually swamps the frame rate because it doesn't work the way we thought it was or we don't use it as efficiently as, efficiently as it could be used or, or we ought to be more judicious in our use of it. And so 
we're constantly finding ourselves fighting these kind of two steps forward, one step backward uh, event. Like the the same party that I was at the other night, um, you know, was uh, in a place that normally has very fast frame rate, an, an underground dungeon which is very contained, you know, manageable number of players, manageable number of polys and uh, environmental objects. And people were shooting off some fireworks and some other spell effects, and the frame rate went down to less than one frame per second. Ouch. And, you know, suddenly I'm going like, okay, well, that obviously means somewhere we screwed something up in one of these, you know, uh, revamps uh, that this area that didn't used to have this much frame rate issue has now reared its head again. And uh, and one that we're in the middle of a big reworking of right now is, is uh, character animations. Um, you know, we've, you know, every time you redo the state machine that, that helps a character know how to translate from a run to a walk to a stop to a sword swing and keep the upper body and lower body separate but synchronous, you know, every time you change that, you can end up with some herky-jerky bits in your animations again, and somebody has to go back in and retouch all the animations to kind of clean that up. And so people will see the animations seemingly getting better and better and better, and then all of a sudden they'll all look kind of crummy again for a release or two. And what that probably means is we upgraded the the technology but have not gone back yet to retouch all the hundreds or thousands of animations to adjust them to the new te- technique that is being used. And um, and we're doing the same thing now with NPC polygons, the ability to do lighting and shading and detail on faces. And so there's this constant revamp uh, that uh, we're, we're in the middle of going through another big visual revamp right now. And uh, uh, But even after that, I'm sure there'll be another and then another and then another. And even if you look five years from now, you know, uh, there, there's good odds that we'll do periodic overhauls of the visual uh, engine pipeline. Well, you know, I mean, too, if, if some of the animations are just too vexing, we have a talented mocap artist here with us. So We uh, do, indeed, in, right here in this hangout with us. Uh, one of the originals, one of the most tenured and experienced mocap professionals on Earth. Um, all right. Two more things that I wanted to draw out of um, just all the stuff that happened this year. Um, at least right now. And uh, one of these came out of the community directly because, and uh, actually more than one example, but I'm just kind of bunching them all together. But there were a couple of different uh, people who put together community apps for Shroud of the Avatar um, that either had like, you know, maps and recipes or like one of them seemed more like a glossary and reference kind of thing, right? So it's got your maps and your recipes and all the crafting stuff and what have you. And then on the other hand, you have, you know, sort of more the community focused app that has uh, like a pass through to the forums and the IRC and avatars radio. Um, so those were really neat to see come along. Um, and I, I use and one I, regularly myself. Awesome. Um, yeah, I've got the, uh, I've got the reference one installed because I always need help with the crafting recipes, but, but yeah, like, uh, so that was a really neat example of, you know, again, that community contribution that Shroud of the Avatar has really fostered. Um, the other one worthy of mention, I think is, uh, the new beginnings comic, which came to light. Uh, what was that? That was April, uh, of 2015. Um, and I think, was that a tortoise and hare thing? Yeah, that yeah. was tortoise and hare creations, wasn't it? Yeah, and they're, and they're, uh, they're about to, we're about to kick off another one. Nice. And that ties into the storyline, right? Like that's licensed. It's, mm-hmm. 
canon. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, all... one of the other great things about our community is, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, you you have people that are happily running things completely intrinsically, uh, like uh, uh, Pax Lair. The, those guys are obviously super experienced with our the lore of our older games and. And it's really introspective on their own city as much as is the world around them. So they're just running full speed ahead. But there's other people that are saying, like, hey, you know, I want to write some lore or participate in a plot a little more uh, thoroughly. Um, you know, how can I, how can I see behind or look, take a peek at your guys' story bible uh, to the to the degree that it exists? Uh, and uh, and if it doesn't yet exist, can I probe or suggest or you know, ask questions around what the story Bible might be, and you know, here's some proposals. And you know, we have to read those because, you know, if somebody writes a piece of lore that we're going like, yeah, that fits into the game, we can put it in a book and drop it in the game, you know, right on the spot. And so, uh, uh, and 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 the players have the ability to start doing that now on their own. And so, uh, 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 you know, the the player participation in independent lore as well as canon to the main story um, is already very deep. Yeah, and that's that's been impressive to see already, and I can only imagine where it's going to take things. You know, as we progress and as more content gets added to the game, so that's going to be really great to see. Well, we have been talking. Audacity lists it at actually we're just coming up on the two-hour mark, so. <laughs> Well, that's probably that's probably a goodly length of time. My my, uh, I've I've got some alarm bells going off upstairs too. So uh, yeah, uh, it's probably a good time to start wrapping it up. Definitely. And um, actually, you know what? Uh, I think we can just say you know, uh, or I would just like to say you know, thank you both for taking the time uh, for answering these questions. Um, yeah, if you well, want, thank you. Thank you. And and by the way, we uh, uh, we apologize for uh, the three or four reschedulings we had to get all this to get get to get us all together on this but uh, uh, very excited that we did and um, you know uh, I, I have to say you've been a, a pillar of not only the pillar of the, of the community for start of the avatar but obviously going far far further back than that uh, and uh, you know anything we can do to uh, support you uh, and your followers uh, would is also of course uh, very much not only in our best interest technically, but also just as a friend and uh, someone who's on the same journey with us, uh, we're, we're very pleased and happy to do it. Well, hey, I mean, this is all just one big long thank you for Ultima 6, to my mind. Um, <laughs> so, well, thank you, though. So, if you like Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, um, please do leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever you happen to listen to us. Um, but more importantly than that, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, this is especially true for iTunes. The more subscriptions a podcast has, the more visible it'll be in iTunes. Um, and you know what? I assume that a lot of you are doing this because I noticed uh, the other day that the Ultima Codex is now, uh, or sorry, well, spam, 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 humbug rather, not the Codex proper, but SSSH, uh, now actually appears on the main page. If you just go to podbean.com, Podbean is the podcast hosting service that we use. Uh, we were right there on the front page under the game section. So that was really cool. Like, I mean, obviously people have been subscribing. Thank you for that. Uh, if you want to support the Ultima Codex or SSSH, because um, they are linked, uh, there is the Ultima Codex Patreon. 
The $1 pledge level is all you need to get access to episodes the day before they go live on the Codex proper, and, you know, that goes towards helping maintain and with sufficient funding expanding the server infrastructure uh, of the Codex to better deliver all the things you come looking for there at, which, again, includes Shroud of the Avatar's IRC channel. Channels, because there's a few of them, actually. But if Patreon's not your thing, um, and if you like playing, you know, computer games, I hope you do, because you're listening to this podcast, um, GOG, GOG.com, used to be known as Good Old Games. Um, the Codex is a GOG affiliate, and this one's really easy. If you want to buy a game at GOG, they sell the good old stuff, they sell some new stuff, they've now got their own early access program, so selling, you know, games that are in beta or still in development, like um, Ashes of the Singularity. Real easy. Go to ultimacodex.com, look for the GOG banner, click on it, and then go about your business at GOG. Buy the game you want to play, play it, have fun. You won't pay anything more. You won't pay one cent more, but we get a bit of a commission on the sale. Um... If you want to participate with the Ultima Dragons, there's a group on Facebook, uh, there's the Dragons community on Google+, uh, there's a UDIC hashtag that I don't use nearly enough on Twitter, oh, and of course, UDIC.org proper, if you actually want to, like, sign up and pick a dragon name, that's where you go. Finally, if you'd like to recommend anyone for a shout-out, shoot us an email, uh, ultimacodex at gmail.com, uh, and you can also use that to suggest podcast topics, offer commentary or criticism about podcast episodes, or volunteer your time as an occasional or regular contributor to podcast sessions. All right, well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, this is definitely going to be another two-part episode, but that's all right. Um, but, yes, thank you again. Good night. You too. Likewise. Sleep well. Uh, Yes, I intend to. And until next time, be virtuous. <laughs>